Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. thing that I find remarkable, and I've noticed this almost every year that we've had vacation Bible schools, that the lesson that the children learned, I wish we had an adult VBS class, <laughs> because I think the same lessons ought to be taught to the adults. Is your life wild and crazy? Is your life sad? Are you experiencing changes? Are you experiencing sadness and, and other challenging things and, and confusing things as well? God's still good. He's still good, and you can trust and, re- and rely on him as well. So this summer, we've been exploring the life of, of one of my favorite Bible characters, and his name is Joseph. And Joseph is a young man who experienced God's working in his life in a very remarkable way. Remarkable because God had shown him what his plan was for his life, and yet Joseph, as he pursued that plan, kept hitting all these roadblocks. There were all these setbacks that Joseph encountered. And I don't know about you, but I am a person that easily, when I start hitting opposition or roadblocks or potholes in life, I think, well, I don't know what God's will is. I, I get easily overwhelmed and think, well, this can't be God's will because it's just too hard. I can't be doing this because it's just too difficult and it's easy to quit and give up and say, well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. It's just too hard. It's just too difficult. And the thing that's important for us to remember as we explore and learn from Joseph's life and later on this summer when we look at the life of Queen Esther, these two favorite Old Testament characters, what we're going to see is that God is still working even when they are roadblocks. Even when we encounter setbacks, God's still on the move. God is still leading. God is still working. And God still wants you and I to be involved in following his plan and doing his will and allowing him to work in us and through us and around us. God is still on the move, even when there are these setbacks. So whatever your dreams and whatever detours you encounter, there's still the fact that God is working in your life and leading and moving in you and has a plan for you to follow as well. And we see that in the life of Joseph. Now, when we were reading last week in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is a young man, he's a a teenager, and the story picks up when he's 17 years old, and God gives him these dreams of leadership. He's going to lead his family. And and he's the youngest, or rather, he's a, a younger brother. There's 10 older brothers in his family. I don't know how big your family was. I'm the oldest of three sons in, in our family. But Joseph was actually, the, in a sense, the runt of the litter, the, the youngest one of the brothers. Now, he wound up having a brother still younger than him. But he was number 11 in a line of, of brothers. And as that younger brother, he was also, though, the favorite son of his father, Jacob, because he was the son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. This was a polygamist family. There were two married wives, then two servant girls that became wives. So there's four mothers involved in this family. Every son had a biological mother and three stepmothers. (laughs) And again, we talked about that family putting the fun in dysfunction because there was all this chaos and rivalry and competitiveness and anger and jealousy that was just part of Jacob's family and the wives that were competing with each other and the sons would pick that up and compete with each other as well. And Joseph, 
this younger brother is in the middle of all that. And yet God has a plan for Joseph's life and he begins to talk about it. And he begins to share the dreams that God has given him and his brothers hate him. In fact, they wanna murder him. But instead of killing him, they do something maybe not quite as bad, but still really bad, they sell him into slavery. And they lie to dad and say to dad that, that Joseph was killed by wild animals. So there's Jacob grieving over the death of his son. There's the brothers who are bearing this burden of guilt that they have sold the son into slavery, the brother into slavery, and lied to their father about it. And here's Joseph, the one who's suffering most of all because he's been carried off by a caravan to Egypt and he has been sold into slavery. He's sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar who's called the chief um, he's the chief uh, butcher of Pharaoh. And we're not exactly sure whether the, he's just in charge of the meat department. You know, the, uh, put, you know the, the guy in charge of all the beef and steak and stuff. Or whether that's a euphemism for the, he's the chief executioner. <laughs> Either way, Joseph's in trouble. Because he's a, he's a slave of a high-ranking official and he has no freedom of his own and he's far away from home. The story of Joseph picks up in chapter 39. We'll explain why we're skipping over chapter 38 in just a few moments. That's a very crazy story in and of itself. And we'll come back to that in a few moments. But what I want you to see in this chapter is that Joseph, in spite of all the setbacks that he's facing, he develops a great integrity. He grows and matures. And we, we pointed out last time that one of the reasons why God allows setbacks, why God presses that pause button to make us wait for his plan and his will and purpose to be fulfilled in our lives, why he makes us wait is because he wants to ripen us. He wants us to mature, to grow up in our skills. And that's one of the reasons why that God makes us wait. And what we see in, in Joseph's life is that God is giving him an opportunity away from the threat of his family, out on his own, having to trust God by himself, Joseph is learning integrity. Joseph is learning to be responsible and to be faithful. And the secret to Joseph's integrity, no matter how hard he was tested, was that he developed a personal intimacy with God. His intimacy with God led to integrity in his character. And that's what we learn here today. You know, character grows in response to trials and testing. Whatever hard things you encounter in life, whatever trials you're facing, however you respond to those trials determines the kind of character you have. You, your, your nature, your, not just your nature, but the kind of reputation, and not just your reputation, but the very character, who you are by yourself, that's shaped by your response to your trials. The trials we encounter, the testing that we endure, that's what shapes how we respond. That's what shapes our character. That determines the kind of people we are in that way. And Joseph develops character in the sense of he develops the character of integrity because he passes the tests that he encounters while he's in his slavery, while he's serving there as well. Let's start reading in chapter 39. The book of Genesis, this is page 33. I encourage you to, to follow along as we read. 
Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. So he, his master, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not, gre he is not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to, to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way that your servant treated me? His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is God's word. Now, I don't know if you noticed in the reading of Joseph's story here 
that at the beginning of the story, twice it says the Lord was with Joseph. And when we get down to the end of the story, when Joseph is thrown in the prison, did you notice that twice it says there, and the Lord was with Joseph. Did you notice also that in your Bible that the word Lord is all capital letters? Did you notice that? The reason I'm pointing all this out is that Moses, as he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this story, he wants us to understand that the secret to Joseph's success, the secret to him being so successful even as a slave, the secret of him being able to resist temptation, the secret of him having integrity was all about his relationship with God. The Lord was with him. That word Lord, that name Lord, in all capital letters, in English, that is a reminder that the translators here who translated the scripture from Hebrew into English, they are translating the word Yahweh, the covenantal name of God, the name of God that he is the self-existent one, the one who created everything that there is and by him everything exists and lives and has its being. He's the God who not only created everything that there is, but he desires to enter into a covenant agreement with those who are willing to trust him and be loyal to him. We see especially at the end of the story in verse 21 where it says, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. That's what God wants to do with anyone who trusts in him. Anyone who's willing to enter into an agreement with him, a contract, a covenant with him and say, God, you are my God and I will love you and I will be loyal to you and I will be faithful to you no matter what. God is saying, I'm gonna love you and be faithful to you and be loyal to you no matter what. I'm gonna show you my faithful love, my steadfast, loyal love to you. Joseph, though he's a young man, Though he's far away from home, though he's separated from his father and his family, his mother had died when he was a youngster, though all these things have happened and there he is in slavery, he has this covenantal loyal love and devotion to the Lord, the creator of all that there is, the God who had promised him that one day he would be a great leader over his family. Joseph was faithful and true to the Lord and the Lord was faithful and true to Joseph. Now, in this story, we see God blessing everything that Joseph does. Do you notice that in verses, all oh, starting in verse 3 down to halfway through verse 6, the word all is used five times? And it's just kind of emphatic. It almost sounds a little awkward. The Lord caused all that he did to the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed in his hands. And he was put in charge of all that Potiphar had. And from that time, he was overseer of all that Potiphar had. And the Lord blessed him. And the, Lord blessing, the Lord's blessing was on all that Joseph did and on everything in Potiphar's house. And then in verse 6, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. It's just a reminder that the comprehensive blessing of God, that it was on everything that God's faithfulness to Joseph was on everything that Joseph was responsible for. And because of that, Potiphar was blessed. Potiphar was prospering. His master was prospering simply because Joseph was in this covenantal relationship of devotion and loyalty to the Lord. He was trusting Yahweh to take care of him even though he was there in slavery far away from home. This is a reminder to us 
that God had promised Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, through you and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And God is beginning to do this. God is showing favor to these Egyptians. God is blessing this man's family and his property, his plantation. He's blessing all of it simply because Joseph is in a faithful, covenantal relationship with him. God wants to do that through you and through me. As we are fully devoted to Christ, as we are loyal to him and yield to him, God wants to work through our lives and not only bless us, but be a blessing to others. That's why serving is so important. That's why we need to be happy to serve because we're actually becoming a channel, a pipeline of God's grace and goodness to others. God wants to do that through us as we are covenanted to Jesus. We are loyal to him and yielded to him and he is yielded and loyal to us and his blessings and love and grace flow through us to others as well. So you think that Joseph is doing great. Look, he's gaining responsibility. He's now head of the family, in a sense, in charge of everything. He's, he's Potiphar's personal assistant, and everything that Joseph is doing is prospering. But God allows Joseph to be tested because Joseph, as a leader, needs to learn integrity. He needs to learn that he can be trusted no matter what. Yes, he's skilled as an administrator. Yes, he's handsome and strong. Yes, he's very clever in managing an administrating thing. Yes, he's smart and intelligent. Yes, he's got great people skills. But can he be trusted? Does he have integrity? And here's the test. So here's Joseph managing Potiphar's house, his possessions, his farm, and all that he has. He's right there as the personal assistant. And everything is going so well, except now, not only does Potiphar notice how gifted Joseph is, but Potiphar's wife notices how handsome, how intelligent and charming Joseph is. Someone said that this is actually a melodramatic story of the handsome young man and the stupid husband and the lonely wife. Kind of sounds like a a sappy romance or something like that, or some other scandalous tale. But that's kind of what's going on here. She begins to crave for Joseph. Potiphar's busy, he's doing his thing. Here's Joseph, a handsome young man. He's a foreigner, he's charming, he's exotic in that sense. And she seeks to seduce him and get him to come and sleep with her and have sexual relations with him. She wants to have an affair with this this younger man. She wants to do that and she's pressuring him. It says that she pressured him day after day to do this, but Joseph resisted. Now the thing is, a lot of us reading this story would say, Joseph, are you kidding me? Why don't you just give in? Nobody's gonna know. Dad's not gonna know. Your family and your brothers and Stepmoms are not going to know. Your friends back home are not going to know. You can get away with this, Joseph. I mean, after all, she's in a position of power and she's harassing him in this way, trying to seduce him in this way, and she keeps pressuring him. The, the pressure is relentless. It's a reminder that another reason why Joseph very easily could have given in is just this idea of the persistence, the persistence of temptation. Day after day, she's seeking for him to come and have an affair with her. You know, the devil, when he tempts us, when our bodies cry out to give in to sin, 
to satisfy our cravings. It never just happens just once and we say no and go, okay, I'm not going to bother to tempt you anymore. No, it, it's, it's relentless. The devil's power is in lying and in persistence. Lying to us, trying to seduce us, trying to trick us, but doing it day after day after day after day to wear us down. But Joseph doesn't give in. And that's a remarkable thing that he doesn't give in because there's also this legacy of looseness in his family. Can we say it that way? He has a family heritage of loose sexual morals. His great-grandfather Abraham, yes, he had a wife, but they were struggling with infertility issues, so she says, sleep with my handmaid. And Abraham says, well, sure, honey, if that's what you want, I'll do it. And so there's this complication there of extra children in the family. And then, and then Isaac, and uh, he himself was a man of integrity, but then there was the issue of Jacob, who gets tricked into marrying two wives, and then having the servant wives, and, and then his sons struggled with it, their own sexual fidelity and uh, integrity. Because Reuben, the oldest son of Jacob, winds up having an affair with one of the stepmothers. I know that sounds crazy. Sorry, it's kind of an R-rated story. But that happens, and, and he falls out of favor with his dad. And then there's the, the, the next oldest brother, Simeon and, and Levi, and, and, and they are involved in murdering and, and executing and slaughtering a bunch of people who had raped their sister, who had been attacked and exploited and taken advantage of by one of the Canaanite men, a man by the name of Shechem, a prince of the Canaanites in that area. And they get explosively mad and slaughter and kill a bunch of the Shechemites. And then we've got this story in chapter 38, which we don't have time to explore in great detail, but it's the story of Judah, the fourth oldest son. Judah is married and he has three sons. The oldest son is evil in God's sight and God strikes him dead. Now that son was married, but he has no children. The custom at that time was that if a son is married and he dies without children, the next brother marries that widow and has children in the name of the oldest brother who had just died. And so the, the second son marries the widow. Her name is Tamar, but he doesn't want to give her children. So he interrupts the, the, the act of sex and, and doesn't impregnate her, and God strikes him dead, causes him to die as well. So there's this third brother, and Judah is saying, you know, my two boys were married to this girl, and they both died. I don't think I'm going to give my youngest son to her. And so he refuses to do that. And Tamar is now a widow without children, and he says, you need to go back to your father's family and let dad take care of you. Oh, I'll give you my younger son one day in the future. But he has no intention of doing that. After a period of time when that youngest son was finally old enough to get married and he's not given to Tamar in marriage, she realizes that Judah's never intending to give her another husband. And Judah himself is now a widower. His wife has died. And he is unwilling to stay chaste and he's unwilling to be a man of integrity and when he goes to town during a sheep shearing festival he finds a prostitute and he sleeps with her but he doesn't realize that the prostitute is actually his widowed daughter-in-law Tamar 
She's tricked him. And he impregnates her. And she has a set of twin boys. Now, the interesting thing in that story is that when you read in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3, you see the genealogy, the, the line of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus. And lo and behold, there's Judah, the son of Jacob, and his wife Tamar, not his wife, but this wife, this woman that he slept with, this daughter-in-law, and her sons are included in the line of Jesus. It just is a reminder that God can even use these mixed up, crazy, sinful situations to accomplish his plan and program. Not to approve of what uh, Judah did, not to approve of what Tamar did, but to still bring about the Savior. Chapter 38 is in the story for one for many reasons, but one reason in particular is to show a contrast between Judah and his loose sexual morals and Joseph and his sexual integrity and purity and moral integrity. You see the two brothers contrasted there. I want you to understand this. I want you to see this. There's this family heritage. There's this legacy of looseness in Joseph's family and he could very easily give in and just be like his brothers. Reuben and and Judah. He could be like his dad. He could be like his great-grandfather. He could do all these things. Maybe you're thinking all of that yourself when you face temptation, when you're struggling. Well, my dad was a drinker. Why should I resist the bottle and alcoholism? My mom slept around. Why can't I? Other people have done these things in my past. Why can't I do this? Maybe your father looked at porn. Maybe you are looking at porn. Do you have to keep doing that? And the answer is no. You can be different. I can be different. I don't have to do what my family legacy is. I can break that chain. It's not easy. It takes work. It requires relying on the grace of God. But we can change. Our legacy doesn't determine our destiny. In fact, It's when we choose to be intimate with God and rely on Him and be loyal to Him that He gives the power that we need to resist sin and do the will of God. Joseph tells Mrs. Potiphar why he can't sleep with her. He has the opportunity to. He's got the family heritage to. There's the, the, the persistence of her solicitation. All these things are three strikes against Joseph. And, and any red-blooded man would give in in that situation under that kind of pressure. It would be to his advantage. But Joseph understands it's wrong. And it's wrong for two big reasons. This is why Joseph doesn't give in. The first is just simply this. He understands the price and the penalty that comes when we give in to temptation and when we give in to sin. Look what, what, look what Joseph has already figured out. In verse 38, he says he refused. Verse 8, he says he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no other concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything he has in my charge. He is not great, greater than me, greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. Joseph understands, I can't sin with you. I can't give in and have this affair because my master trusts me. This is an issue of trust. 
The only thing that he has kept from me is you, Mrs. Potiphar. You are his wife. Everything else in the house, the the management of the fields, the property inside the house, the other workers who are here, the other slaves that he owns, I lead all of them. I am responsible for all of them, but I have no right at all to you because you belong to him and he belongs to you. I would be breaking his trust if I give in and sin with you. And I don't want to do that. When you and I give in to temptation, especially when it comes to sexual purity, when we're tempted to give in morally in this way, we are breaking trust. We are breaking marriage vows. We are breaking future marriage vows. We are doing all of this. And even if nobody else ever knows about it, even if we think that we get away with it, even if we say it's a victimless crime, even if we say that no one else knows about this, it's just me and the computer screen, it's just me and these images, it's just me and this person, this, we're both lonely, we're both far away from home. I can get away with this. He's my soulmate. She's the partner I've been looking for. Whatever rationalizations we make to justify it, it doesn't diminish the fact that we are breaking a trust. We are breaking a relational trust. And we damage the trust relationship we have with all the other people in our lives, with our spouses, with our children, with our grandchildren, our friends. We break it with them. But then notice what Joseph says at the end of verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? For Joseph, this is really the bottom line. I can't sin with you. I can't give in and have sex with you. I can't have an affair with you. I can't do this with you because not only am I breaking trust with my master, cheating on, his, on him and his wife, with his wife, Not only am I breaking trust with him, but I'm breaking trust with God. I am committing a great wickedness. And the interesting thing to me in the Hebrew is he's saying this is an intense evil. It is an intense evil. This is not just evil. This is like evil driven up 100 degrees higher. Stoked even greater. This is far worse than just doing something that's wrong. This is evil. And what's evil about having an affair? What's evil about adultery? What's evil about making this moral sexual compromise? You're breaking trust with God. You're breaking covenant with Him. When we do that, we are breaking our covenant relationship with God. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord had steadfast love with Joseph. We see that at the beginning of the story and at the end of the story. It's like the bookends of Joseph's life. It was the priority of Joseph's life. Joseph had this covenant relationship of love and loyalty and devotion to Yahweh, the creator, the the God who had promised all these things to his great-grandfather, his grandfather, his father, and to him and his brothers. God had promised his steadfast faithfulness. Joseph had heard this. He believed this. He lived by it. I'm not going to break that. I'm not going to break that relationship by having an affair with you. Now, this is taking place about 1800 BC, before the time of Christ. The Ten Commandments show up around 1450 BC, even a little bit later. 
And you could say, but you know, God had not said the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. So how did Joseph know that this was wrong? Because God had already shown it and already taught it. And it was already part of the the understanding of even human nature at that time that when you break a covenant relationship with the person you're married, when you're unfaithful to them, you're being unfaithful to God. Because your covenant relationship is not just with your husband or your wife. You're not just saying, I do to them. You're saying, I do to God. I do. I will be faithful. I will be true. Till death do us part. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. In sickness and in health. I will be faithful. Till death do us part. You're saying that not just to your husband or your wife. And not just to your family and friends, but you're saying it to God also. Joseph says, I'm not going to break my covenant relationship with God. I will not commit this intense evil doing that. I'm going to stay faithful and true. And the thing is, is that when you look at Joseph's life, we should all be applauding. Yay, Joseph, yes, you pass the test, you don't give in. In fact, later on, she's going to grab him one more time, grab him violently when he comes into the house. He's, he's trying to say, in fact, verse 10, it says that he wouldn't talk to her. He wouldn't listen to her. He wouldn't lie beside her. He stayed away from her. He had set up boundaries to make sure that he was giving no appearance of moral compromise. He was not flirting back. He was not joking with her about that. He was not doing anything to encourage her or egg her on. He was maintaining his boundaries, but that one day he had to come into the house to do the work and none of the other men were there. Maybe she had chased them all out. I don't know. But it says that she grabbed him and in the idea is she violently grabbed him. I mean like seized him, threw herself at him, flung her arms around him, grabbed hold of his cloak and just come here, come to bed with me, almost forcing him. And somehow Jake, Joseph is able to wiggle free and leaves the coat behind and he gets out of the house. He runs away. That's the extreme to which Joseph is willing to maintain his integrity. That's what we're called to do is even if you have to flee sexual immorality, as it says several times in the New Testament, you have to run for it. You have to flee. You have to put up the boundaries and then flee if necessary. Run for your life. I remember my dad saying one time, it's like running like a deer from a forest fire because that's exactly what it is. Running from that tsunami, that tidal wave of lust that's coming, running away from that, running away from that solicitation. Now, the thing is, is Joseph's under this pressure. He can't just quit his job and move somewhere else because someone is trying to entice him into an affair. He's stuck there. But he did everything in his power to maintain his boundaries and his moral purity. He put it up, and he didn't compromise. And again, we should be applauding. Look at the hero Joseph. He didn't give in to sexual temptation. What a man of integrity. Look at this. Yay, Joseph but it all backfires on him. No, he did not give in and sin with Potiphar's wife. No, he did not have affair with her. Yes, he was true and faithful and loyal to Potiphar, his master. Yes, he was faithful and true to Yahweh. He didn't compromise, but she falsely accuses him. 
She says, he came in to mock me, laugh at me. He came in to mock all of us. She's telling the Egyptians who are there, look, this, this Hebrew has come, this foreigner has come, this guy from this other race. She's pointing out his racial heritage and making fun of it and saying, look at him. He's trying to take advantage of me. He came in here. He wanted to force himself on me, but I cried out and I resisted him. And look, he left his coat behind. Of course, she frames, she lies. Out of her anger, she's getting revenge. This, this spurned love that she's offered Joseph, this enticement that she's been trying to lure him in and reel him in with, he's resisted successfully. And so the only thing that she can do is frame him, accuse him falsely of trying to take advantage of her. And when Potiphar finally comes home, she tells the whole story to him. And it says that he kindled with anger. He started a burn. His anger was like on fire. But I think it's interesting that if you're the captain of the guard, the chief butcher, the chief executioner, what do you do with a potential rival? What do you do somebody who's dishonored your family? What do you do to somebody who's, who's assaulted your wife? You kill them off with your head. But that doesn't happen. Instead, Joseph gets thrown into prison. All that makes me wonder who Potiphar was really angry with. Was he truly angry with Joseph? He might have been angry that he lost Joseph's service because he can't let Joseph stay in the house with this kind of dishonor and accusation hanging over his head. Was he angry with his wife? Maybe he was aware of her flirtations. Maybe he was aware of her, her own infidelity and that she was the root of all this trouble. Maybe she heard, he heard Joseph explain and he trusted Joseph and he understood, but to save face, he has to throw him in prison. I, I'm not exactly sure. But instead of Joseph being killed by his brothers, he's sold into slavery. And instead of being killed by Potiphar, Joseph is thrown into prison. And in both times, God spares Joseph's life because even though there's a setback, the story's not over. Just because there's a detour doesn't mean that God's done working with Joseph. He still has something to do with Joseph's life and he spared his life again. Only it looks like now, instead of just being a slave, now he's in prison. And things have gotten worse for Joseph because now he's a prisoner. He's got a record. He's been falsely accused, yes, but he has no way of vindicating himself and justifying himself and explaining away what's happened because he's a slave who now is incarcerated because he's been accused of raping his master's wife. But look, look Look, look what God is doing. In verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in sight of the keeper of the prison. God was still there. God had not left Joseph. The false accusation came and God was still with Joseph. The solicitations and temptations came to Joseph, but God was still with him. God was there all the time. You remember what we said a few moments ago? Why was it that Joseph was able to resist the temptation of Potiphar's wife's advances and her seductions? 
One was because he understood the price of giving in to sin. The price is too high. It breaks relationship and trust with other people, and it breaks your relationship with God and your covenant of love with him. But there was a a second thing that Joseph remembered. He remembered that the Lord was with him always. And because the Lord was with him always, it gave him the strength of integrity to resist the temptation. That intimacy that Joseph had with Yahweh was what sustained him, sustained him in being able to resist the solicitation to give in to sin. He was able not to give in to the temptation because of the intimacy and faithfulness of his relationship with Yahweh. And it would be very easy for us to look at this story and say, well, I just need to try harder to resist sexual temptation. I just need to make sure I I don't look at any more porn online, or I just need to make sure I stop flirting with that lady at work, or I need to make sure that that guy at the the store that I see every week, you know, he keeps kind of winking at me and talking to me. I need to make sure that I'm doing nothing to signal him that I'm interested. And you could say, I just need to try harder to be faithful and to be pure and to be true. But trying harder will not set you free, and trying harder will not give you integrity but intimacy with God will. And you might be thinking, how do I get that kind of intimacy with God like Joseph had? I've got good news for you and me. It says that God was with Joseph. Yahweh was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. When Jesus was born, do you remember what they called him? Matthew chapter 1. And the virgin will conceive and bear a child and he will save his people from his sins and all that. And they will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Your Lord and Savior, Jesus, is Emmanuel. And he is with you. He has given his Holy Spirit to everyone who trusts in him. And his powerful presence is there in your life to help you say no to sin and yes to God. It's like Tom Wright says, the great Bible teacher, New Testament scholar. He says, if you saw, imagine, just take a minute, imagine the most, the, the worst animal or creature you would want to see. The thing that frightens you the most. Maybe it's a snake or a, a big hairy spider or, or maybe it's a lion or a, a panther or something like that or a, a rabid dog. Imagine that, that creature that frightening creature in your mind. You got it in your mind? Are you thinking about it? Are you, are you with me? Okay, you thinking about it right now? Imagine going around the corner and seeing that creature right there. Right there in front of you, ready to pounce on you. Ready to strike you, bite you, crawl on you, whatever it is. What would you do? You'd turn and run. That's what I would do. If I saw that, that copperhead or, or a rattlesnake, I, I'd turn and I'd run. It would frighten me. Now, who's the person that you haven't seen for a long time that you would love to see? And if you saw them, you would just run to them. Give them a big hug. Give them a big handshake. Clap them on the back. Can you picture that person in your mind? Would you run to them? So you round the corner and you see the creature that's most terrifying and you turn around and you run, but you run to the person that you love the most and you long to see. We turn away from sin, that creature that wants to destroy us and harm us, that frightens us, 
and we run to Jesus, the one who gave his life for us on the cross, who is a lot like Joseph, and Joseph is a lot like Jesus. I mean, they were both tempted, and they refused to give in to the temptations. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert. Turn this stone into bread. Jump off the top of this building. Bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth, and you won't have to go to the cross and die and suffer. But Jesus refused. So both of them are tempted. Both of them resisted the temptation. Both suffered for their refusal to give in to temptations. In a very real sense, Joseph models Jesus. And Jesus was tempted at every point like you and I are, yet he didn't give in to sin. And Hebrews chapter 4 says that when you and I are tempted, that's when we go to Jesus and get the help we need to resist. Because he was tempted at all points like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, we can come to him and receive the mercy and help that we need in our time of trial. The more we run to Jesus and are close to him, the further away we get from those creatures that want to destroy us, that sin that wants to drag us down. Not that temptation never comes, it certainly will. But we have the strength and the power of Jesus to help us. The Lord was with Joseph. Jesus is with you through his spirit. The the Lord enabled Joseph to resist the temptation. Jesus' spirit is able to enable you and I to resist temptation. Joseph developed integrity, godly character, strength, and trustworthiness. You can develop integrity and godly character and the strength of trustworthiness as you yield to Jesus. As we yield to Jesus, we don't have to give in to the temptation. Instead, we can be loyal to him. And he'll bless. He'll prosper. And everything you think that giving into that sin offers you, power, pleasure, possessions, everything that you think, if I just give into that sin, I'll be happy. Jesus is saying, if you just give into me and run to me and trust me, I'll give you everything you need and more. You see, it's integrity that comes from intimacy. And it's intimacy with Jesus that gives us the integrity we need. It's intimacy with Jesus that gives us the ability to have a reputation that people will trust. It's intimacy with Jesus that brings the blessing of God upon our work, upon our families, upon our lives. Everything that we think sin will give us, it won't. But Jesus will when we depend on him. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to stay, to just grow in that intimacy with the Lord Jesus, to trust him and rely on him. Help us to see the price of sin. Help me to see that every day. So often I sense that I'm lied to and told. I rationalize, I justify and think that I can sin and get away with it. I think that I can sin and it's gonna make me better, but really it never does. It always makes me worse. It always leaves me guilty and ashamed. Lord, I pray that we would see that and remember that and never waver from that. 
And I'm asking, Father in heaven, that you would help us instead, help me instead, to have that loyal love for Jesus, that intimate relationship with him. And thank you that when we trust and depend on him, he builds that integrity in our lives and brings his presence and brings his blessing and brings his power so we truly can make a positive difference for the glory of God in this world and be a blessing to others. Father, I ask that you would bless all my friends who are here today, all who are listening to this word. May we just truly claim you and cling to you like Joseph did in spite of the setbacks. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.